0: You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland.
1: John, in the Revelation, writes that he is the one who is and who was and who is to come. And when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory, even though he was the closest disciple to him, he fell at his feet, as he describes it, as a dead man. This was the eternal I am in glory, the Son of God. So when you come near Him, it is not as if you are an equal, but with reverence, with subjection, with a recognition of there's an authority now to command your life.
0: Have you ever been around a celebrity, politician, or even a king or queen? If you have, you are probably well aware that there are certain protocols that are followed in their presence. Pastor Tom shares with us that it's no different with the King of Kings. Humility and reverence need to be our posture when dealing with God, and we ought to be wary of any flippant indifference in our thoughts and actions. Though God is loving, merciful, and full of grace, he remains our omnipotent and holy creator. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James, chapter four, as he continues his message, the cure for worldliness.
1: What a series this has been in exposing, I hope, and curing a lot of the worldly concern that we have, a lot of the worldly attitudes that we bring um, with us, that we hear from the world through the media in various forms, the worldly wisdom even that is behind it that we learned about in chapter 3. All of this needs to go, and God's saints grow as all of that goes. Let's... Hope and pray that God will continue to work in our lives as we learn this important truth. Verses 7 through 10 of James 4. Here's the instruction. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Well, here, as we've already remarked, we're receiving some effective medicine for keeping worldliness far from our lives. We left off last Lord's Day at the end of verse 7. Resist the devil. Why? He will flee from you. What a promise! The devil works primarily through, do you remember, his lies and through his intimidation, which his lies undergird. He exploits the lusts that are in our bodies. He exploits the pride we have. He doesn't create that. He exploits it, and he does it through his lies. He gives you the rationale. He gives you the thought, and then your sinfulness grabs hold of that, and then you're surrounded by a world of unbelievers that reinforces that, and that's how the system works, But if we resist that, he'll flee from us. That's our promise. We're strong, stronger than him because we have truth. We fight lies with truth. We have truth. We state truth, believe truth, memorize truth, stand on truth, meditate and mutter to ourselves truth at the key times when the devil attacks and he will flee and you will not fall into sin. You will not give into the temptation. You'll stand firm. We do all of this because we subject ourselves to God. He's an authority over us. He's really an authority over all people. They just don't recognize it. He's an authority over us. We subject ourselves to Him, and things work out well. We don't have to understand everything. We do have to subject ourselves to Him. Well, coupled with that resisting of the devil comes, and here's where we advance today, and we step into what we were going to get into last time, but we'll talk about it today. We resist the devil, that's half of it, but we don't just resist the devil. We then draw near to God. That's the couplet that's there. We have these two relationships. To the devil, we resist. To God, we should draw near. We should be repelled to God as a magnet. We're repelled to him, repelled to the devil, and we are drawn to God. And verse 8 says that, draw near to God. So simple, isn't it? So simple. God stands ready for us, just draw near. Don't, Don't resist God resist the devil just draw near to God. I like the King James. Draw nigh to God. Draw nigh unto God. Do that. And it will be so good. As we subject ourselves to the highest authority in the universe, that's God, we resist the devil's false narrative. What he wants to say is going on in the world and what he wants to say is going on in our life and it's not true. We resist all of that with truth and then we turn to our Lord and we draw nigh unto him. This is the opposite. This is the language not of resistance but of approach. Come near, draw near. You know, wonderful, we have a God that wants us to draw near to Him. Implied, I think, by James is that those who draw nigh unto God will find it a lot easier to fight the devil. Drawing close, of course, speaks of intimacy, intimacy and relationship. So often we talk about truth in the church and we say truth is so important and we need to listen to the sermons and take notes and learn theology, but truth tells us we have a relationship with God and it's a very important relationship and He wants to be close to us. He wants us to want to be close to Him. He wants us to realize that all of this truth is about Him and it's about relationship. We need to cultivate relationships with one another in our home. We need to cultivate relationships with our friends. We need to cultivate the relationship we have with God the most. We need to draw nigh unto Him. That's what it's all about. Christian life is a relationship. We relate to God. We say we don't have a religion so much as we have a relationship with God, a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, His Son. A person who seeks to draw near to somebody else is trying to do away with the distance. Maybe you would have a friendship with someone. And you haven't talked to them in a while, and some walls have been built, and there's some distance, and there's feeling that there's no connection. Well, how are you going to get close to them once again? And the answer is you're going to have to take time to develop that relationship once again, aren't you? You're going to have to spend some time with that person. You're going to have to pick up the phone or go by and visit them or whatever, and you're going to have to spend some time with them. Well, it's the same way with God. God is there He wants you to be close to Him, but you may be resisting Him. You may be ignoring Him. You may be just running and chasing after the things in the world and thinking they're going to be so exciting and so titillating and so exhilarating and all of this stuff, and you've forgotten God, and you're not close to Him. Your heart's not close to Him, but He wants you to come back. He wants you to be closer to Him. God is always near, actually. He's never far from us. In fact, if you're a believer, He never leaves you. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is always true of you, but we don't always sense that God is near. We don't always act like God is close to us or that we are close to Him, and so we drift in our heart and in our affections. We don't love God. We love the things of the world. We've lost the affections for God, but He's there. He never left. He's always present. We focused on worldly things. We thought that they would fill us up. We thought by drinking a lot of the world, we'd feel refreshed, and somehow we don't. We feel like drinking more. It doesn't satisfy. And God says, I have a well within you that can spring up unto eternal life. You should be drawing from the well of the Holy Spirit inside of you. The wording of drawing near is so important. Actually, it was used a lot in the Old Testament. The, the Israelites were told often to draw near, and they physically actually would come near the temple or come near the tabernacle, wherever it was situated. On the Holy Mount, Mount Sinai, they were told to draw near, but they had to consecrate themselves first before they drew near. And it was a coming near, not like with the kind of laughing, kind of frivolous joy that many would have as they would draw near to entertainment with song and dance and things like that. But when people were told to draw near to God, come near to the holy mountain, come near to the place of worship, there was joy, but there was also reverence. Can you put joy and reverence together? If you can, then you understand how we're supposed to be in the presence of God. It says in the book of Acts, which quotes the Old Testament, that in God's presence is… What would you fill that in with? … It actually says the fullness of joy. When you get into God's presence, whatever joy you've ever experienced, you've never experienced the fullness of joy, it'll be that plus so much more, and it'll never be empty. That's what it's like to be around God. He's exciting. He's fulfilling. And yet, it has to be in a reverent way, right? It has to be with reverence, with fear. People say, you know, I talk to the man upstairs. They talk about God as the man upstairs, you know, grandpa up there. It's so irreverent. It's so misunderstanding who God is. He's What is He? He's El Shaddai, God Almighty. He's El Elyon, the Lord Most High, God Most High. He's a great and an awesome Lord of heaven. He's not a friend in the sky. He's not your buddy. John, in the Revelation, writes that He is the one who is and who was and who is to come. And when He saw the Lord Jesus Christ in His glory, even though He was the closest disciple to Him, He fell at His feet, as He describes it, as a dead man. This was the eternal I Am in glory the Son of God. So when you come near Him, it is not as if you are an equal, but with reverence, with subjection, with a recognition of there's an authority now to command your life, to tell you how to live. We come with lowliness. It's the only way to approach God. We don't come running above Him. We come and we bow before Him, right? That's the language of worship, right? So when we're told, draw near to God, we're told to draw near to God To enjoy Him, yes, but to come and explore Him, know Him in worship, understand Him more, learn Him. The following language of washing the hands and purifying the hearts fits with this worship theme. You come to God with hands that have been cleaned, and they're not filthy, and they're not dirty, and you say, God, I have some hands here. How would you like me to use them? I'd like to serve you. We come with worship and service. They go hand in hand. But you have to clean the hands first, you can't come and offer the hands to God until they're clean. We'll talk about that. And the heart, the thoughts, God wants to purify the thoughts. Many of you want to be used more of God. You'll be used more of God when you clean more of your thoughts and present yourself and your mind to God. Then He'll use you. God is holy. He doesn't want servants with filthy hands and hearts. The priests in the old covenant were exhorted to draw near, to lead Israel in worship. Exodus 19, said to the priests, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves. That's what you got to do. You're going to lead in worship. That's what you need to do. But the priests, they only led in worship. God wants all the people to draw near. Deuteronomy 4, 7, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord, our God? And whenever we call on Him, you realize we came in here today and we called on God. Did you expect Him to listen to you? Sure you did. Why did you? Because of the name of Jesus and the blood of the cross, right? And wow, what we have available all the time. When you leave here and you leave this room, are you allowed to call on God outside somewhere? Of course you are. Of course you are. Springtime comes. You're going to go down and see the cherry blossoms. You're going to get out and enjoy all that God has. And you call on God and you can say, God, here I am. I want to worship you, and I want to serve you. Use me. You draw near to God. But sometimes we draw near to God with wrong motives. God had to chasten the Israelites in Isaiah twenty-nine, thirteen It says, their hearts are far from me. They draw near with their lips, and the words sound good. The songs were good, but their hearts are far from me. Is your heart far from God this morning? Did you come singing and saying, but not really in your heart, believing? You've drifted. And on your mind and your heart, you have so many things you're distracted by. It's even hard to listen to a message. You sing the songs, but your mind is elsewhere, and it's all over the place. You're not drawing nigh unto God. You're not focusing yourself. Rather, we should be genuine in our approach of God, like the words of Zechariah 1.3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you. Sounds exactly like we're reading in James. Return to me so that I may return to you. He's ready, but you have to take that first step. You have to repent. There has to be something in your heart that changes if you're going to come back to God. He has requirements. If you want His power, you want His presence, you want His joy, He has requirements. You have to come back to Him. Now we're in the new covenant. It says that all of us who were far off, that's all the Gentiles, all the nations of the world that didn't have the worship as Israel had, they didn't have the temple, they were far off. Physically, they were far off. Spiritually, they were far off. But now it says in Ephesians 2, we've been brought near by the cross, the blood of the cross. Because of the blood of the cross, we're brought near to God. We're accepted in Christ. By the way, no one is accepted by God apart from being in Christ. God accepts Christ And everyone in Christ and anyone outside of Christ, he rejects. He's already made that clear. God is not a God of love in that he overlooks sin. He is a God of love in that he forgives sin when people come on his terms. And they are his terms. Now we are a kingdom of priests, we're told. There's the priesthood of all believers we Protestants teach from 1 Peter chapter 2 and from Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 5. What does that mean? Every believer in the new covenant is a priest of God, and he is to draw near to God and lead others in drawing near to God and consecrate themselves so that they can be pure and used of God in worship and service. Hebrews 7:19 speaks of the new covenant. It says, we have a better hope through which we draw near to God, a better hope. It's a better setup, this new covenant setup, in the blood of Christ. But what keeps us away in our heart? And the answer is worldliness. What's that? Well, we've already been over it. There's jealousy, there's lusts, there's envy, there's quarrels. James wrote about that. It all makes our heart distant from God, who's loving and holy and righteous, and all those things that we're spurning when we chase after the world. Remember, we were told, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, right? You can't have both. You got to choose. So turn from sin. It doesn't help you. Sin doesn't make you feel better. Sin doesn't advance your life. Sin isn't fulfilling. Quit listening to the lie of the devil. Resist the devil. He's just working to your destruction. He just wants you to squander and waste your life. If you're a young person, he wants you to chase after something else and waste 10, 20 years. Whatever he can do to knock you out. If you're an older person, he wants you to think that you're useless because of your previous sin. You're not. Just quit listening to all those lies and give yourself to God in consecration. He'll use you. Resist the devil and draw nigh to God. For there is assurance that God will welcome us back. Notice the contingent promise, He will draw near to us. You take a smaller step, you take whatever step you can take, you say, God, I'm weak, but here I come, please help me, and He'll take the huge bounding leap towards you. He takes the larger step. Even in this, we see the greater grace that was mentioned in verse 6. He enables us to do the very thing in which He demands of us. You know, it's fascinating. Whenever the Lord Jesus would preach to the disciples about things they were supposed to do, He then had to turn to the Father and pray, Father, help them do the things I just told them to do. You'll notice in the upper room discourse, maybe the, the greatest example of that, where He's telling them, you need to abide in Me. don't don't depart from me, you won't bear any fruit. You need to love one another. Then he turns to the Father and he says, Father, keep them and sanctify them. That's a little hint for leaders. That's what we always do. We preach to men and then we pray to God for men, right? Because we can't do it on our own. And so there's the greater grace that's there. His grace assists us to do the things he commands us to do. We have to still have that responsibility. We humble ourselves, draw nigh to God. He stands ready to receive us back like that Father of the prodigal son, remember? With the open arms. Now, in practical terms, what does all of this mean? Well, this whole passage is really talking about repentance. Drawing close would subsist of a change of heart attitude. I have to change something inwardly. I can't wait for someone else to change it. I can't wait for my counselor to change it. I can't wait for the preacher to change it. I can't wait for my wife to nag on me enough to change it. I got to change it myself. It encompasses our looking in and seeing the ugliness of worldly attitudes in us and becoming disgusted with it. You ever hold up a mirror? You know, you think you're good-looking until you look in the mirror, and then the reality's there? Oh, my. Where did all that come from? That's what the Word of God is. It's a mirror, but it helps us to deal with what's true. True. You're not as loving as you ought to be and I'm not either. You're not as compassionate as you ought to be and I'm not either. You're not as reverent towards the Lord as you ought to be and I'm not either. You're not truthful enough with people about things going on in your life. You don't open up enough to others. God wants you to. If you look in the word it'll tell you that. I guess that's why people close the book and walk away from it, right? Go on quit looking in the mirror. But God says there's benefits of looking in the mirror, and there's benefits of drawing near to God, and there's benefits of letting the Holy Spirit do in your life what He wants to do. What are the benefits? There's forgiveness. There's a clear conscience. How about that, for starters? Would you like that? A clear conscience? I bet some of you don't have a clear conscience right now. You don't have a clear conscience. You can't operate properly because you're hiding sin. There's cleansing. Would you like to be cleansed? Who wants to be dirty? Does it ever really feel good being dirty? There's intimacy with the divine being. What a privilege. There's reward beyond anything that the world can offer. There's confidence in a clean conscience, by the way. It gives you confidence. There's clarity of mind. You're able to look at your life and look at what's going on around you and have clarity of mind and not be flattered and fooled. There's guidance from the Holy Spirit. There's protection of yourself from Satan's attacks. He's a prowling lion, looking for someone to devour. He looks for the weak spot, for the person that doesn't have the shield of faith up, who didn't put on the breastplate of righteousness, who's dabbling with sin. He's looking for that person in this congregation and every congregation so he can rip them apart. That's what he's looking for. There's peace in your inner being. There's unspeakable joy welling up from inside. There's love that's shared. We as believers have every incentive to press on to seek to know the Lord more. Psalm 145, 18, just of many. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. By the way, if you were thinking in your mind, no, He's never going to be near to me because He never listens to me, then you just contradicted the Bible. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. Just be sincere. Don't pretend to be sincere. Be sincere. Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. Each Lord's day, why do we even gather here? Why do you come to church? Is it a social thing for you, or are you coming here that you may draw closer to God? The years go by, the decades go by, and you come to church. Are you coming to church to draw closer to God, that I may know Him more, that I may love Him more, that I may follow Him more closely? Is that what it's all about? That's the whole point. It's not to entertain you. It's not, what was the music about? Did the pastor keep me awake today? It's about, are you getting closer to God? Is the truth impacting you? What are you doing when it's going out to you? Is it just kind of swirling around there, and you're like, just another day, it's over with? Or are you drawing closer to God in your spirit? Do you want to know Him more? John MacArthur says that the redeemed heart longs for communion with God. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with what? all your heart. Can't be half-hearted about God. God doesn't respond to the half-hearted. Well, I gave you a little bit there, God, and then you didn't do much for me because you were half-hearted. You're not half-hearted about the things you really love, are you? Don't be half-hearted about God. Hebrews 4.16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Funny how when it's time of need, we come running wholeheartedly to God. I know sometimes life is very confusing and unfair. We sang about uh, behind a frowning providence is a smiling face from God. Sometimes we're looking at all the frowning providence. You know what that means? Life looks like God doesn't care for you frowning providence. The way God has arranged it, it looks like it's not going in your favor. Look at your relationships. Look at your job. Look at all this stuff. How could this happen to me? It's just that I wasn't set up with the right personality in life. You know, I didn't have the right parents. I didn't have… You know, you just go through the whole thing, and you can see how it could all be set up better, and God didn't set it up better. That's a frowning providence. But behind it is a what? Smiling face. Do you believe that? Do you believe God smiles upon you in Christ Jesus, that He loves you and wants you to draw closer to Him? You need to believe that. That's the gospel, that He receives you, loves you, accepts you in Christ. That's so important. You know, if you go to the Psalms, it'll help you draw near to God because it'll deal with all the confusion, all the things that feel unfair, all the inequities, and you'll read a psalm after another, and it'll come from a heart it had to come from the heart because it's inspired. It's in the Psalter. It's in the Bible, right? And, and you'll, find, you'll find what your heart is struggling with, and you'll find someone's already struggled with that, and you'll pinpoint it and go, oh, those aren't exactly the words I would have used, but that's exactly the spirit with which I'm struggling with with God, and you'll find it in the Psalms, and you just read through the Psalms, and you'll find it. If the part where David is praying about the destruction of his enemies doesn't fit exactly your situation right now, then you ignore that Psalm, and you go on to another Psalm. And you find the one that expresses your heart. Maybe it will be Psalm 27. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. That's how he felt sometimes. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation struggles of faith are in the psalms. psalm. Psalm 13:1. How long, O Lord? It's one of my favorite psalms, by the way. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? So read it thoughtfully, and it'll assist you draw nigh unto God. He awaits your heart change.
0: Draw nigh to God. Aren't you glad that God gives us the ability to come to Him? What an encouraging word. Pastor Tom made it so clear in his message that God is for us, and in spite of our filthy and fallen state, we can come to God in for His tender mercy and amazing grace. We can receive forgiveness, a clear conscience, intimacy with God, clarity, guidance, protection, and so much more. Praise the Lord. With sad, yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leake, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. One of the benefits of drawing close to God is that we are able to see ourselves more clearly. Next time, Pastor Tom will share that as the light of Jesus grows brighter in our lives, our sin will be plain to see. Though we may become uncomfortable or even miserable in that revelation, God is able to make us clean when we come to him in repentance. So let's bravely approach the Lord and seek his cleansing. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit hopebiblechurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of James. So we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.